everyone. I'm Alicia Swamy. I'm here with my co-host Eric Johnson and Keely Severson, and we are Exposing Mold. Today we are talking about oxalate intolerance. I'd love to hear more of what Eric and Keely think about what's going on in the oxalate world. Let me unmic for this one. I got some things to say. What's up with oxalate intolerance? Did someone... How did everyone become allergic to vegetables suddenly? Eric, what's up yeah, with the sudden vegetable point. allergy? Yeah, it's like uh, humans have been consuming this kind of thing for a long, long time without a problem. So why suddenly is this the killer stuff that we need to avoid? I see a problem with that. Why did some? Why did everybody become reactive to gluten, to wheat, to bread, to beer all of a sudden? Why are people unable to tolerate cheese and wine? And nuts, isn't it perhaps logical to think that rather than blaming spinach and kale and things that are high in oxalates, that maybe this is another one of the class of food intolerances that people with multiple chemical sensitivity eventually acquire? That's such a good way to think about it, because I feel like people get intolerant to different types of food groups. I couldn't handle any animal products at the height of my my illness. It caused like kidney kidney problems for me. But then other people are saying they can't handle any like vegetable foods. I think if oxalate intolerance was inherently a problem, we would have been hearing about this from vegans, not from moldies. Good point. Yeah. I didn't think of that. <laughs> your your intelligence is contagious, Eric. I'm, I'm slipping. There's room for us both at the top. Right. Thank you. <laughs> um, it seems strange that people are suddenly intolerant to some foods. And I think you make a really good point with this being just another version of food intolerances that maybe are developing from mold exposure. Because here's the other thing is they're not born with these sensitivities. And I feel like if it was a true allergy, wouldn't you be born with it? Yeah. What's the common denominator with chemical sensitivity? It's metabolic disorder. It's intestinal dysbiosis. If I could throw in a plug for Claudia Miller, the uh, author of the Tilt Concept, she did a study and she found out, irrespective of whatever triggered your chemical sensitivity, or at least the known triggers for what puts people into this mess, the pattern of what they react to is remarkably common to all of them. And it includes all the things that we just listed. The other thing that I think is interesting is from I know that your theory very specifically explains mold illness in a way that's not a mycotoxicosis. But when we look at mold illness through the lens of mycotoxicosis, it causes kidney damage. Like exposure to mycotoxins are causing kidney damage. And oxalates build up in the kidneys when there's kidney damage. So my thinking is, is oxalate intolerance a sign of kidney damage from mold exposure? I think that there's there's clues that point to maybe yes. Do you think that's, maybe not? Or like what are you what do you no, think? No, I don't know. I mean that's that's over my pay grade. I have no oh. idea. After undertaking a strategy of mold avoidance and going out to the desert and realizing that all my food intolerances went away, I went right back to all my old wicked ways and added a few new ones too. And it seems to me that if you can reproduce this effect in other people, then maybe you need to start looking and all these intolerances as a result of the chemical sensitivity. Not, maybe not so much blaming all the food because you keep running out of things that you can eat 
until you're left with nothing but mung beans. And I have to say that at the time that the doctor told me that you are a universal reactor, I stood in my kitchen and I screamed at the top of my lungs, what is left that I can eat? Mung beans? So as you can see, I was extremely pleased when my desert experiment paid off, my food reactivities melted away, and I charged right into the nearest pizza parlor, and I pigged out on pizza and beer. Yeah, now that you mentioned that, my food sensitivities went away when I left exposure to, I was, I had a lot of kidney and bladder problems. I had weird food sensitivities. Like you hear these people who have mast cell activation and they're down to like two foods because they can't tolerate anything in their throats closed. My food sensitivities were so weird. I would get like burning pain in my bladder and then I couldn't pee or like my urine would be blocked. Dr. Shoemaker's primary theory was enterohepatic recirculation of mycotoxins that were putting these things into the intestines for hopeful excretion, except they get reabsorbed before they can completely get out. That's the whole point of binders and cholestyramine. But if you believe that that's the, the case, then why wouldn't you believe that these toxins would enter through the gallbladder, get into the intestines, and cause dysbiosis? So it stands to reason that if that theory held up, then people could reduce their dysbiosis and go back to eating normally again, not have to live in fear of kale and spinach for the rest of their lives. People say that they can't take herbal medicine because they're intolerant to herbs or intolerant to oxalates. And I think that's misguided too. I think anytime you take the wrong herbal medicine, you're not, you're not going to have a good reaction, but that doesn't mean you're intolerant to oxalates. Sorry about Nico. Like he really wants to be a part of the conversation. Nico wants to know, did the organic acid test start the oxalate rumor or where did this come from? No idea. I have no idea. I was, I was stunned. I mean, to consider something that we were treating as health food that some, everybody ought to eat, now all of a sudden it's poison. I just kind of lost it at that point. I don't even want to hear about this. But it does bring up a, a memory that when I was working in Berkeley, where I was having a lot of problems running into the mold plumes, really, really powerful plumes, I was on a team. I was working with a crew. And we're all working in the same places in a very, very bad location. And one of the crew started feeling sick. A couple did, actually. But one of them in particular started making the rounds of all the doctors. And this was back in like 1982. And they told him, oh, well, you're, you're uh, gluten intolerant. You have to give up bread, you know, all, wheat products of all kinds. You can't even eat ketchup because it's got gluten, wheat in it. And of course, on the list of things that you have to give up is beer. And I go, oh, shoot me now. <laughs> I have to give up beer? I'd rather die. Come on. And th that was the first I heard of anybody becoming, acquiring gluten intolerance. Suddenly, I'd heard of this being a genetic problem, but never somebody in midlife just picking it up out of nowhere. So I couldn't help but wonder. I wonder if this has anything to do with the sick buildings we're working in. And I feel like people still are sensitive to gluten and still not thinking that it has anything to do with their environment. They really just think all of our food is poisonous. Yeah. And conversely, can people move out of a moldy environment and have that gluten intolerance disappear? Sure. I we've did. Seen it, uh, yeah, we've seen it a number of times now. 
So what foods could you not tolerate then that you can tolerate now? Oh, it was everything on Claudia Miller's list. Wine, nuts, bread, cheese, even certain vegetables. Like broccoli is one of my favorites. And I was even becoming reactive to broccoli. And it's it's, it's just like everything. Whatever I put down my throat, my body didn't like it. And it was very frustrating when these nutritionists are walking around going, well, in order to recover, this is what you have to eat. And it's the very same thing that somebody else is saying, oh, no, don't eat that. That'll kill you. That's really crazy when the nutritionists come and say that I see it. Sorry, I'm getting so excited, but this really pisses me off, actually, because when I hear people swearing that all you have to do is have the perfect mold diet. With my bladder and kidneys in the shape that they were in from eating meat, somebody telling me the only way I was going to get through this illness is if I went keto, they would have freaking killed me. If they would not have killed me, I very surely would have ended up in the hospital with a surgery. I don't think that nutritioners, nutritioners, <laughs> nutritionists, <laughs> um, I think that they have to be really careful with giving advice about serious health complaints and connecting it to food. Because if you think that all illness is only going to come back to food, it's interesting because that book by Theron, Theron, Theron Randolph, he highlights the emergence of, he's like talking about food sensitivities, but it's yeah. like, it's like, he's the first doctor that's noticing people are allergic to these foods, which we talked about this early earlier today. I asked you, do you think that this is highlighting like the emergence of this mast cell activation where people have food sensitivities? And that's exactly what uh, Claudia Miller reports. And she says it seems to have arrived concurrently with the introduction of pesticides, polybrominated flame retardants, complex molecules, human pollution, that prior to this really don't have any reports of this kind of thing. And now it's everywhere. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Home Cleanse, formerly known as All American Restoration, is a company that specializes in improving indoor air quality through proper mold remediation, offering services nationwide. You can visit them at homecleanse.com to learn more. The Mold Guy performs mold sampling and testing for homeowners, renters, and businesses. Please visit themoldguyinc.com to learn more. Black Diamond Services provides solutions to the unforeseen challenges that can affect homes and families with no out-of-pocket costs. Services include temporary housing relocation and mold test referrals for homeowners. Visit blackdiamondservices.com to learn more. Thank you again for your sponsorships. It is integral to our ability to serve our community and to improve the quality of life for all. So I know who started the oxalate stuff. Sally Norton is her name, but it's really funny because if you go and look at her bio, she talks about being fatigued, having pain, having joint issues, thyroid, being chemically sensitive. What does that sound like to you guys? Classic. I don't know the rest of her story, but maybe she's actually a moldy, doesn't know it, and is attributing all her issues to oxalates. Yep. That reminds me of a teacher that I had in acupuncture school who couldn't handle any sense. I'm just realizing now that she was probably mold sick. Well, during the Lake Tahoe outbreak, the, the people up at Incline Village, it's like you 
almost had to be in training for the Olympics to even feel good about living there. People complained all the time. If you're not some kind of athlete, you don't, you don't feel like you belong. It's, it's that competitive. It's crazy. Everybody had the best diets, the best food. So when the mystery illness hit, all of a sudden, these doctors from the valley, from the big city would come up and they would tell marathon runners, well, you need to improve your diet. Is what? Say what? Some pudgy little doctor is telling a marathon runner, you have to eat better. And I finally hit my limit on that. And I'm going, look at who you are talking to. And at that point, the marathon runner said, well, I've, I've looked at your diet and I guess I could, I could try it, but it, it would be a step down from now how I normally eat. I love that story. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> I've often felt that with all these conflicting theories from nutritionizers, because no two of them agree, we should lock them all in a room and go, none of you gets out until you decide on which theory is correct. <laughs> we should do the same to the mold doctors. <laughs> But the, even the mold doctors are coming out and saying molds produce oxalates and that's adding to the burden and that's the problem. What do you guys think about that? Mold Not the same as oxalates. mold is producing carbon dioxide. So that's sucking all the oxygen out of the air. So you're going to die. What does that mean? Mold produces oxalates like mold produces oxalates separately inside the environment. So you're inhaling extra oxalate or... Mold exposure causes the body to have more oxalic acid excreted in metabolism. Like, what does that even mean? Mold produces oxalate. I have no idea. It's just what these mold experts like to talk about and perpetuate. And they don't really say much. And I don't even know how they're verifying this, to be honest with you. That's so interesting. So it's like, this is what Eric talks about all the time. Like someone just saying like a catch phrase that sounds sciencey and then it just everyone spreads it. Is that what happened here? But it's also backed up by actual real food intolerances. So it obviously looks real to everyone experiencing it. Exactly. There's just one shred, one kernel of of truth in the matter. And it gets blown all out of proportion. And it takes on a life of its own. That seems maybe like what happened here with this. And I believe that the entire paradigm, the whole mold community, they're running into problems because they are pointing at everything. Everything is toxic. Water is toxic. Air is toxic. The clouds are toxic. And society just, you can only tolerate that for so long before you, you go, enough. Just stop. Oh, my God. I so agree with you. I just, I think people have good intentions when they post these things, but I think they don't understand, like, the fear-mongering that they're causing. To say there's mold in your hair, there's mold in your salt shakers, there's mold in your ass. I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> I, it's just, it causes a lot of fear mongering. And it's like, this is not the type of mold that we're talking about that's actually injuring people. And I, I don't, I don't know how to approach these type of people. How do you stop it? How do you, you know, I, I, I don't know. Do you guys have an idea? I have, <laughs> if something you can use for your ass mold. <laughs> just kidding. I just, just Oh, I that. thought you had a serious product for us here. Maybe you no, can sell I'm, it. I'm 15 years old and immature. <laughs> Keely's butt mold remedy. <laughs> well, somebody just posted an article today about bathroom mold, the pink mold, Rotorula. 
you know, the stuff that shows up around the ring of your bathtub or in your toilet, the pink bone as being just as bad, if not worse, than stachybotrys. I'm going, wait a minute. I, I, I dealt with that. I cleaned it up with bleach. It's not a problem. <laughs> We're going to have to edit this out. I'm... I think the mold is making me manic. <laughs> All right. I think we're done here. <laughs> Didn't Jill Krista say that the, that pink mold is ketomium and everyone's losing their minds? Right. right. And I, and I, I said, well, wait a minute. I, I believe that's rotatorula or sometimes the bacteria, serration marsaisins. But typically it's rotatorula. But did someone like have a bad experience reacting to their toilet or like, where did this come from? This declaration? Fear of toilets. Maybe they can get brain retraining for their toiletophobia. Well, if anybody starts going to the toilet to barf and dies with their head in a face full of pink bathroom mold, then we'll know we've got a problem. It's the ass mold caused the toilet mold, don't you know? <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> That's Maybe we can sell test it. kits. You know, put a petri dish up the crack of your ass. Throw some pink gold. No, you gotta swab it. Oh my god, I'm sweating. My butt's sweating. I'm gonna create mold. Let me go, go swab it. it. It's so, fine um, unless it's pink, Alicia. So that's that's kind of how I feel the general public is going to react to the sphere mongering about oxalates, about all the other things that they're pointing at. It's it's seriously laughable if you think about it. I am so glad that I got sick when I did, because if I entered this mold arena now, I feel like I would be afraid to like leave my corner of my living space. Well, how the hell are people even navigating this illness with this bullshit everywhere they turn? There's nowhere to go for honest information. Nowhere. Nowhere to go for honest information. How are people even recovering or living? I don't, I really don't know. Truly. And they go so far as to say, well, Eric's living in a tent in the desert. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a really fancy tent you got there, Eric. Yeah. (laughs) I've got one of those phony uh, wallpaper things behind me, you know? I mean, come on. What is it with people? Oh, boy. Do you guys have anything else to say about the um, oxalate stuff? I just think it's more of a sign of like kidney health damage from mold exposure. That's, That's my thought. Yeah, I suspect you're probably right. I just feel that when it comes to oxalates, a normal, healthy human body should be able to deal with that. No problem. Absolutely. And we will go more into this topic and this subject in our class, Mold Illness and Kidney Health. That is going to be airing March 23rd. We will do the class live and then do a Q&A after. So if you are interested in signing up, please check out our Facebook and we have the event there for you to register. Again, everyone, thank you so much and we will see you next time. Bye.